Hey, everybody, it is November 8th, 2021. And you know what that means? It means in 24 hours, people are packing up around the world and they are headed off to Costa Rica for our Surf and Sales 5A and 5B event. Uh, we are super excited to be back on the road. But before we do that, we wanted to get a couple of new podcasts out. Um, and we got to thank our sponsors, particularly the all of our sponsors, but our event sponsors who help us take these folks to these places to have this amazing experience. And, and hopefully this gentleman in a minute will join us at one of them in the, in the near future. Uh, I wanna give a shout out to our event sponsors of Alice, Lesson League, Gong, Chili Piper, Spireship, and Vidyard. And of course, to our regular podcast sponsors uh, for the month of November of Reprise, Reggie, Vidyard, and Outreach. Uh, if you're looking at anything, and we know you all are for 2022 to increase your revenue and pipeline, uh, these are the folks we like to recommend. We've seen the tools, we've used the tools, um, so we're happy to, to recommend them to people. That being said, I want to introduce Paul Kreider, who is the founder and principal, as I scroll down the LinkedIn profile, at Kreider Creative Consulting. Um, and the reason Paul is here uh, is one of pure irony and serendipity. Uh, Scott doesn't even know this yet. So Paul reached out to me a couple of months ago, maybe, maybe six weeks ago on LinkedIn, that standard sort of, hey, would love to connect. Da, da, da. And I took a look at his profile and saw that one of the things he specializes in is really that presentation training, right? The stuff, Scott, you and I are probably terrible at teaching people how to do. Um, we just sort of, we're one of those, I don't know, I just do it. Uh, and so ironically, I had a client who was then looking for someone and, or prospects. So I introduced them and then Paul and I had a conversation. So that's sort of, and then once I heard what he does, I was like, oh, we should have this guy on. Cause we don't ever talk about this stuff. So super long wind up and intro, Paul, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I was just saying offline there that, uh, it's, this is the job is trying to connect with people and, and, you know, you guys have an interesting podcast going on here and what you're doing. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you reach out is because try to kick over as many stones to make as many relationships as possible. And sure, if you find what I do of interest, that's great. Otherwise, uh, maybe we'll make some friendships that will last forever, right? So how did you, how did you sort of fall into this bucket, right? Um, and maybe there's a lot of you out there that, that do this piece. Is it like what, I mean, maybe the question is how'd you even fall into consulting and then how'd you choose this topic? Sure. So um, it started five years into an 11 year experience being in the speaking industry where I was working as a speaking agent, a, a speaking agent first, and then senior vice president in a speakers bureau located in Boston. And when you're an agent for dynamic storytellers, celebrities, athletes, clinicians, authors, uh, people you see on television, people who have written books that you find in every airport kiosk, right? You learn a few things about what it takes to be a dynamic presence on stage and what it takes to connect with audiences. So five years into my 11 years at the Speakers Bureau, I started realizing that an agency like ours doesn't develop talent. We recruit manage and book talent. So I wanted to take a shot at consulting with people who either are the public speakers that get out there and speak on main stages or breakout sessions or whatever, novices or seasoned, but also companies where, you know, the client facing teams from the C-suites to the sales teams 
you know, working on presentation skills, making sure that when you have the spotlight on you, that you know what you're doing. Because I think in many cases, uh, people kind of don't exactly know what they're doing, not because they're uh, lazy or um, don't care. It's they've never, they've never asked, they've never been told. And so um, my experiences have given me some insight to this. So um, I'm happy to, to apply it where I can. Yeah. One of the, one of the, you know, the three things we think we know about presentation and presence that so many people have wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, there could be um, more than three. Or what's sure. most important I was going to say, there's probably more than three, but um, uh, one uh, is that people uh, think that they have to spend their entire presentation dumping information on people. I have information, you need to have it. I need to dump as much of it as, as possible on you. That's, that's one thing I think people feel they need to do and it's, it's a mistake. Uh, two is um, people think that they speak slowly, uh, coherently, um, that they are very clear and concise with their messaging and that's often not the case either. Uh, and the third is people think that presentation skills are a quote unquote soft skill, something that by comparison, you know, is not quote unquote as important as the stats, the figures, the numbers, you know, left brain versus right brain sort of thing. And that's a mistake also. So those are the three main things that I see pretty consistently uh, with folks in a variety of industries. And it really doesn't matter what you're speaking about. The idea is that you have to connect with your audience and you have to do it in ways that you haven't done it before. And, and that's what it, when you say presentation skills are not soft skills. So what are, what's an example of a soft skill versus a hard skill when it comes to presentations? So I don't think, I don't think that there are any, um, there are skills. I don't think it's soft or hard. Um, so I think when people say soft skills, they say, you know, more of the right brain, creative, emotional intelligence, um, these sorts of things, um, the ability to create relationships to uh, social related things, as opposed to, um, you know, science, technology, engineering, math related, hard skills, if you will. So when it comes to presenting, people see uh, terms like telling stories, like storytelling, for example, as a, oh, that's something that you do with your children at night. You know, oh, well, yeah, I don't, my kids are all growing up. I don't have a need for stories anymore. And, you know, that it's, it's when people do this with their hands. Oh, that, oh, that wonderful, nice thing that you do. No, right. That's, that's, um, that's uh, putting something on the, on the back burner when it really should be on the front burner. If you can't create a, a human connection with your audience, whether you're selling vacuum cleaners or you're selling, you know, a celebrity to be the main stage speaker, then you're going to miss the boat. How, how much can you elevate somebody's game? Like, can you take somebody who's timid and awkward and turn them into a professional speaker or does somebody already have to be at a particular level and that person you look at them and say okay i can make that person a superstar type of thing it's a great question so i think i think everybody has the ability to be a dynamic speaker i i call that performer right so if you're on a stage 
you're speaking to an audience, whether it's a virtual audience like we're doing now, or whether it's in person in a ballroom filled with 1500 people. The idea is that you're a performer, you have material, you have an audience, they're listening, that's the relationship, right? Everybody has the ability to do that. It doesn't matter if they're shy or introvert or whatever. Here's the difference. People might have like an underlying issue about being on stage. I mean, stage fright is a very common thing. And, and that's something that, that um, a lot of us have to deal with, even seasoned presenters. But the idea is that someone has to have the will to do it, right? Like they, they want to learn this skill. They want to improve this arsenal that they have versus someone who is might be like psychologically afraid to do their process. And that's very different. First, they have to get help doing that. Yeah. And then they should come to the table to work on their presentation skills. Does that make sense? It, it does. I'm, I'm trying to picture like the Delta that we would see if we took Richard or I right now and ran us through, you know, uh, your program, let's, let's say, sure. um, how much better would we be could we be, would it be, un, I'm wondering if it's like unrecognizable, like, holy shit, that's Richard. Like, I was just wondering if it's that big or if it's more subtle in, in, in the, in how it presents itself once, once you've kind of gone through the process. Sure. I would say it's more subtle than it is like major overhaul transformations, but that depends that's on. because where- I'm a genius. Like, exactly. If it was Scott, if it was Scott, you'd be yeah. like, oh my God, that's Scott Lease. And part of it would be Paul would be telling Scott to cut his hair and shave his beard, right? Like that'd be the first thing. Scott would say. <laughs> well, so, well, who am I to talk? Him. I mean, I can't grow it that long. But yeah, like, but I, you're, I, I yeah, but you're saying like, you're well groomed. So, but I'll, I'll say, I'll say is that um, people who who use my services are at a point where they know they need to grow and get better. So what usually happens at that point is someone has the foundation of, you know, you've got something here. And that's actually what I found years ago at the Speakers Bureau. People would come to us and say, represent me. I have, I have a great story. I get standing ovations. I was on Dr. Phil's show. I wrote a book. And you're like, great. And you watch their media kit and you look through all their materials and you go, I mean, sort of, I mean, like you have the foundation of something. I can see why you want to make a go of this. It's just that you're not ready for representation, but it doesn't mean they can't be. It doesn't mean they can't take their 1.0 presentation and make it 2.0. And I'll tell you guys, it's not magic. There, there isn't like a bean that you have to swallow that, that suddenly makes you Shakespeare on stage. These, there are little incremental things that no one has said or picked up on or uh, an angle you haven't thought about. And that's where my work comes in and says, okay, let's focus on these things that that need some work or some changes and we just tweak and mold and change and push and prod and eventually it becomes you know a whole new version of of what you were to what you are now does that make sense yeah what are you know i I don't i'm not trying to give you away free advice but sort of i am you know what are what are some of those little things like you know maybe you've talked to me a couple of times maybe it's okay richard you talk too fast or you know what are what do you think some of those little nuances that people are like oh yeah maybe i did know about that and i just never thought about it 
Sure, uh, it's a great question. And it's this is stuff that I give away anyways. The, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of the work that I do is the one-on-one, -on -one, um, it's a customized right. program for right. everybody. You know, like, so what I tell you guys is gonna be different than I tell other people in terms of what you need to do. But generally it's understanding the power of, of an introduction and the power of a conclusion. People are very comfortable with their content, right? You wouldn't be up there speaking about whatever if you didn't know what you were talking about. But it's preparing the audience for that experience and then leaving them with a memory of that experience. And there's actually something I think your listeners and you guys too could use. When you think about a presentation, you think about it, it uh, enduring 100% of the time you have. So if it's 100% you know, of the time for 60 minutes, right? You have to spend that 100% of the time performing, presenting, doing something. We break it up into different sections. And I think that's where people, uh, particularly with introductions, tend to think that an introduction is a throwaway opportunity. Hi, my name is Bill. I've been here, you know, I've been working at this company for 50 years. Uh, um, you know, uh, we're here to talk about this product and let's get started. Whereas 15% of the time that you spend on a presentation needs to be in that introduction moment. So if that's 60 minutes, well, that's, you know, nine minutes you have to spend in your presentation, uh, in your presentation's introduction. 70% is spent in the content section, and then 15% is in the conclusion. So nine minutes is not a throwaway moment. You have to craft an introductory experience and a conclusion experience for your audience. And that's something that people miss and don't think about. Um, and, and those are the things I try to change. And once you do that, you focus on these unbelievable, unbelievable entry moments and sort of catalyst moments when people are leaving, that's what changes the presentation. Maybe, maybe an obvious statement here, but to what you just said, is that because if you don't capture me during the intro, I won't pay attention in the middle to all the meat that you're going to be delivering. And then if it doesn't conclude well, I don't have takeaways. I don't have an actionable thing to go to go do. It's more of just like, that was a good experience. That's it. As opposed to like, oh, fuck, I need to go like do X, Y, Z thing now. Is that? So, let's, I'll start with the conclusion, uh, concluding point. Yes, I think you need to spark people to go and want to do something. And I'll, I'll push back and I'll say, I don't think they'll say, yeah, it was a good experience if there isn't that moment. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be totally forgettable. If there isn't an yeah. opportunity for someone to walk out of there going, I need to do this now. I need to, something is, I've been inspired to go do something. And if it's, even if it's tell someone else about what I just experienced, right? Because that's an action. It's supposed to, eh, okay, great. Well, that wasn't terrible. Who are we meeting with next, right? And that's where the introduction comes into play. You have to remember that when you're presenting or even doing these podcast uh, podcast episodes, is someone's listening to another podcast before yours and after yours, right? So what's going to make you guys stand out? And it's that introduction moment that makes people go, "Huh, what what a cool way for me to sink my teeth into whatever they're going to talk about," right? And that's the idea. There's a, a marketing uh, uh, outstanding marketing 
professional. I'm sure we all know him. Seth Godin um, is yeah. the name. Sound familiar? Okay, so yeah. we all know Seth and his work. And Seth has this principle called the purple cow, right? And the purple cow, and I'll, and I'll entertain me with this, this little exercise here. So Scott, um, you know what a cow is, right? Yes. Have you ever seen a brown cow? Yes. Have you ever seen a black cow with white spots? Yes. Have you ever seen a purple cow? No. Why is that? They don't exist. But wouldn't it be something if it did? It would be remarkable. And that's the point, right? Create something that that never that's not a thing. That's not that doesn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. But now you do. And when you create the purple cow experience for your listeners, your clients, your friends or your family, you'll walk out of there and they'll go, that was a, I've never, that's a, that's a, that's a purple cow. That, I think we're just going to do our intro and just define our purple cow every day. Like that's exactly. just, so that's the idea of these presentations. And I find that a lot of folks, particularly in sales roles and they're, it's too, it's too much focus on, I need to talk about information. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Creating experience for the audience. They know you need to dump a whole bunch of specs and ideas and whatever on them, but God forbid, do something different that they're not expecting so they'll remember who you are because they're going to sit down on the, ne the next one and you're going to be forgotten if that person does what you haven't done. How do you get people to trim the fat in their storytelling? Um, you said earlier on, you know, it's kind of about simplification of the message. And then just a few moments ago, you said, maybe that person goes and tells somebody else about the experience. It's my belief that if you haven't told your story clearly and simply, then whoever is leaving that audience is not going to have the ability to tell the story to somebody else to hook them in to come watch, you know, the next time you, you deliver it. They're just going to be able, they're just going to say, oh, this, I, Richard was great. You know, I don't, I, you have to see it to believe it. And to me, like, that's a really shitty referral versus, hey, you need to go listen to Richard do this because you're going to get one, two, three out of it. So how do you get people to, to trim the fat and when everybody's in love with their own words? Sure. I like Scott uh, asking that question. <laughs> and that's that's true i and that that's, that's one of those memorable moments right there that keep bringing people back to the podcast richard true. <laughs> right well i'll tell you um that's a perspective that is almost impossible for someone to have on their own it's the forest through the trees concept right uh, we I'm the same when it comes to marketing my own services or developing my own business. I need help doing that because it's not my forte. I don't know what I'm doing as well as the professional who's doing it. So when we talk and we talk and we talk, we think it's important because we're in the middle of our weeds trying to figure out which way we're going because we're, we can't see outside of our own bubble. So someone who comes in and says, okay, how much time do we have to work with? What are the essential themes that you need to cover? And what's the overall goal of this presentation? And once those three things are sparsed out, it's very clear what belongs and doesn't. And it's just a matter of, listen, you might think all of this belongs in this one presentation, but you might actually have three presentations here. So let's focus on a lane, choose a lane. And that becomes a matter of 
creating a relationship of trust. Listen, I value your input and your relationship. You value mine. Okay, so just trust me that this belongs in category A, this belongs in B, this belongs in C. Let's just focus on A. And then person, let's go. Okay, I'll let go of A for now. Okay, we'll just focus on the A stuff. Okay, that's good, right? And that's where it comes, that's what the, the consulting relationship is all about, is is helping people understand that this belongs here. This doesn't, doesn't mean it doesn't belong. It just doesn't belong here. That, that process that you go through, do you think that you can, you can do it on your, not on your own, but like, can you go through it by sort of barfing up the whole story? And then let's say you watch the tape or you read whatever content you've created. And then you trim it down, you know, a great deal. And then you hand it over to Paul or you hand it over to Richard, you hand it over to other people and you tell them, hack this to bits. Like it's too many words, it's too long. Like what parts would you, and you have them kind of give their cuts and then you take another pass through and it's a little easier this time for you to cut. Like, is that a process that can work and, and be and be scalable for somebody or is it just so much deeper than that so it does work like that so when i do my coaching and the consulting with people who are highly motivated to get something done okay and that's usually the people as opposed to uh, i can meet like this week it might be a couple weeks before we meet again uh, maybe next month right where it's like okay we still have the contract i still have the working relationship with you we're just moving oh, yeah. to a pace that's very different i'm sure speaking you my love language right now exactly so i'll tell you that for my the the consulting that i do i see it working in three sessions three 60 to 90 sessions. The first session is ideally someone brings their, this is my presentation. This is what I've been doing. This is my PowerPoint. This is my presentation. This is it. And that first session is, okay, do it. Just go ahead. Let's, here, let's go. And what inevitably happens is someone goes, oh, well, I'm not a storyteller. Or I didn't really have a chance to, that's okay. None of that matters. We need to know where you're at. So let's go. Right. And that will take that first session takes about 60 minutes. Person goes through their presentation in the moment. I will have made my notes. Inevitably, I'll find two things. One are a list of things that really work. This is working. These are powerful stories. These are great themes. You're obviously a master of your content. Let's focus on these more and let's build on them. And then inevitably a list of things that people have to change. This doesn't work. This has to go, or this is out of order. I think we have to revamp some things and give a reason and practical sort of advice for each one of them, not just my opinion, but give like a clear understanding as to why this works and this doesn't. The second session will happen after that person has internalized and implemented those critiques and those changes that need to be made. And that second session, which usually goes 90 minutes, is more of a workshop. It's a frame by frame by frame, roll up your sleeves experience. We're gonna make sure everything is perfect before we move on, okay? So you started with your story about the dog and about the sprinkler, fine. But that has to be five minutes because you only have 30 total. So you have to keep it at five. So I'm gonna time this and let's make sure we get, oh, sorry, we gotta, 
it went 6.30. We have to make it five. Let's go back and do that first part. It's got to be five. And it's a very fits and starts, can be a little frustrating. But the idea is when we get from frame to frame to frame, you polish every little piece, connect them all together, and you have an awesome presentation. The third session, after the second one's implementations have been done, becomes back to the original. Okay, now that we have this new presentation, go for it. Let's do it, right? And what that person will have shown is, one, how much they have grown from session one. Number two, that they have a completely different presentation with a different feel, with a different kind of structure. And three, that it's inevitably ready to go. They can put it in their back pocket, substitute a few things here and there. Hey, in this, um, for this event, I'm in front of uh, AI tech company. For this event, I'm in front of social workers. For this event, I'm in front of uh, K through 12 administrators. Okay, so you substitute a few different stories in. By the third session, for the person that is like really ready, rearing to go, you're done. And then maybe there's a third and a fourth for a few practice, you know, runs or things like that. Maybe working on some PowerPoints, uh, you know, little technical details. But that's how the process works. That's cool. That's really cool. And I, I assume, you know, if someone then goes out and creates a whole other spiel, right? Seth Godin's got to go write another one. He can't do the same one over and over for 20 years, although he could. Um, do they have the muscle to then try to figure this out? Um, or do they, and I would assume the answer is yes, they should come back to you to say, okay, what I miss. But have you ever seen someone go through your program, go do their thing, come back with another one and you're able to see like, okay, now they're getting, I mean, they've always gotten it, but we're still going to keep tweaking like, is that sort of what you see in the, in your business? I, I see it sometimes, but sometimes um, people have learned what they need to learn and they're ready to apply it whenever they need to. And, and that's fine with me. Right. Um, I'm ha you know happy to do that, but, but that's why people, you know, that's why people go back to the people that they trust. And, you know, um, I work with a gentleman out of Chicago area. He's a real cool guy. You guys should look him up. His name is Todd Capone. C -A you know Todd? You guys know Todd? Did we talk about Todd, Richard, previously? I can't remember, but I think we did. Okay, so, so, Todd. so Todd was one of my clients. This was pre-pandemic, so my gosh, what was that, 70 years ago? I'm um, just kidding. Uh, it feels that long. Uh, so he and I actually met in person, if you can believe that, over coffee, just doing our sessions like that. And, you know, I was surprised because, if, and if you know Todd, I mean, he's a great storyteller. He's got a great personality. He does some great work in sort of sales innovation, creativity, innovation, um, uh, transparency is his whole thing. It's like, just be real when you're doing this because that's how you sustain relationships. So he came to me and he said, listen, I found your website. Hey, you look, worked with some celebrities that look pretty cool. You're a Chicago guy. I'm a Chicago guy. Let's go meet. So we had some coffee and we had our first initial meeting. And I said, well, listen, I'm kind of surprised that you need my help because you have these great presentations and you are getting booked and you're being paid sometimes handsomely for your speaking opportunities. He said, here's the thing. I was accidentally good at this. I never trained. I never knew what I was doing. And people, you know, at parties or my family, maybe not my kids, but you know, think I'm a good storyteller. They think I'm funny. They like me, whatever. Right. But I never studied this. And you don't know what you don't know. And he said, you know what I don't know. And I don't, I know, what do you say? I no longer don't want to know what I don't know. I want to know it. And that gave me this 
understanding that people are in their worlds. You know what you know. You do what you do. You're the technician of your own world. You bring in the help when you, I don't know how to do this. You do. So teach me what I need to know. And then I have the ability to use those skills and grow and learn from that. And Todd is a perfect example of someone who can say, I have learned that now. I can now do that. Um, Todd, Todd's got, a, he's got a second book coming out. Todd is heavily sought after for now it's virtual, but like right. for in-person, but also virtual presentations. Well, that, he's, like that, a, he's a great example of it. Yeah, that was, that was actually my next question. What, what are the pieces that people um, need to understand? Because I think virtual is here to stay for a while, right? Like I think, I, mean, I think a lot of companies are like, hey, yeah, let's go on the road and see customers. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if they're willing to spend $200,000 without us getting on an airplane, maybe we don't need to get on the airplane. <laughs> right. You know, what, um, what are the things that, that people should be thinking about as they go into the virtual sales calls? And, and you know, keep in mind, our audience is often you know, salespeople, right? SDRs, AEs, those kinds of things. So I know I'm on a podcast right now. So a lot of this is going to be um, audio, but I think there are a lot of tools for us um, out there where um, we can be better visual storytellers when we uh, can dance with our material uh, a little better uh, than, than just a giant PowerPoint screen and a tiny little box in the corner. So, um, I don't work for this company, but I purchased their software like anyone else. This is called Prezi. Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I. Anyone can go to their website, Prezi.com. It gives you a way to interact with your audience, with your idea or your product um, in a way that is the most engaging that I have seen out there. So for example, uh, what the folks can't see in the podcast is that now I look like a news anchor where it's me on the screen. And right next to me is the, the box with my, my company name, Kreider Creatives Consulting and my logo. I have the ability to make my major point a full screen experience, like someone would be looking at a full PowerPoint presentation slide. So if it's a major point, this software allows you to zoom in on your major point, therefore getting rid of the presenter completely. But then of course, bringing back so that the presenter becomes part of the presentation as well as the product or the idea, and then getting rid of it altogether so that the presenter becomes the focus of the presentation. That's the thing I think people in the virtual world need to start embracing is that you are essentially a stand-up comic. You are the guy, the gal with the microphone and there's a brick wall behind you and you better bring it. You have to perform, you have an audience. Whether you can see them or not, and I hear that a lot, well, I can't see them, I can't gauge how things are going, whatever. Sorry, tough, tough luck, this is all we got. Right. So you can do your shtick, do your spiel, do your presentation in a way that's going to make you memorable because anyone can record this and watch it later. You still have to bring the same energy. Right. And so something like a Prezi allows you to be part of the presentation. So many salespeople or technical people think that it's not, I don't really want to be part of this. I want you to look at my information. And that's a mistake. No one's going to remember who you are and what you do if you don't make an impact on them. How do so, you, yeah, this is great. And, and again, I'm asking for the salespeople who listen to this, where um, 
where where the where things are done on the phone, right? You're not even on Zoom to some extent. Uh, you talked about going slower earlier. What are some of the other verbal techniques people need to think about when they're not able to take care of the, the visual, which by the way, if people haven't gone and watched this particular episode on, on the YouTube, you should, because uh, Paul's great, just his whole presentation style. Like he, he's practicing when he preaches. <laughs> what are some of those verbal things? And, and maybe the first question is, aside from a couple, but how do I know to slow down? Like, how do I know I'm at my right pace for a conversation? It's a great question. I'll answer that one first. That you'll only know from practicing. There is a, a game that people play to help them get a better handle on their language. And this is something that anyone can do um, with team, with your teams or individually is, so the, the example is uh, you're at a, you are telling somebody about a summer barbecue that you were at. Um, and um, you have to tell them about the experience without using words that start that start with H, okay? So however you're going to explain to them about your summer barbecue experience, you have to explain to them without using the word H. So let me give it a shot here, okay? So yeah, uh, last week, and I mean H, I, I should be, I should clarify, H in the beginning of the word. So you can't use a word that starts with the letter H. So last week we met with friends in our backyard for barbecue food. We drank- It's so strange trying to make it work. Right. So yeah. what I'm trying, I, I want to say hamburger. I want to say hot dog. I want yeah. to say add friends over. Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's tough. And I know it's strange when we have to slow down and think about how we're going to use particular words. It feels funny to us. It's the same concept of being in the forest. You know, can't see the forest through the trees. It feels funny, but from the, from the inside, but from the outside looking in, it looks normal and sounds normal. And that's the idea is slow down, think about your words, put intentional pauses. And you asked about uh, what other verbal things can you do? Slowing down, thinking about pauses, but also using your volume of your voice appropriately. If you're gonna tell something that's kind of important, slow it down, bring your voice down a little bit. This is important. This is something I want you guys to understand after we get off this call right? Change the way you talk to those people. That's the difference between talking at somebody and talking to somebody. And then if it's an exciting moment, sure, bring your voice up a little bit. Speak a little louder. Let's laugh. Tell, you know, uh, raise your volume of your voice. Don't yell at anybody, of course, but raise your voice when it's something you really want to emphasize on a positive note. But working on the highs and lows, tones, um, and pauses, those things are very, um, very important when telling story of, you know, with just your voice. Yeah. There's not much worse than listening to a storyteller or a seller who's just monotone, the same pace, the same volume of their voice the whole time. It's like, it's the easiest thing in the world to tune out. Right. Right. Particularly when it comes to like an important point of their presentation, 
Now, you'll, you know, see things, oh, you know, uh, one of the major uh, benefits of this product is that, you know, you'll really be saving a whole lot of money um, on the back end uh, if you decide to go with spec five. Yeah, you sound super excited about me saving money. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, it's like, and here's, and that's, and that's one of the things that these people aren't doing it intentionally. They just don't know. Right. So you say, as we get to the end of this presentation, there are several benefits. It's going to make this product something you're going to want. One of the benefits, look at spec five versus spec four, right? This is the thing, the checkbox. This is the thing that makes it so much better, right? Uh, our competitors stop at four. We take it a step up. Let's focus on this spec right here. It's really important. And if you think that's important, let's, we have two more specs. I think you guys need to know about, right? So it's that kind of uh, playing around with your tone of voice and getting people involved um, is, is essential. This was like, there's like 30 things. This is like a master class, And I know that this could go on for four. I mean, this is clearly what you do, Paul, but it's been fascinating. I know Scott and I are walking around going, we're, we're going out to do presentations over the well, yeah. weeks. Yeah. Right? Like, In 48 hours, we'll be presenting right. and, and telling so stories I'm, in Costa Rica. I, I know we're sitting here going, oh my God, this is so good. Oh fuck! We're gonna have to rewrite every presentation we've ever done. <laughs> well, I'll leave you guys. I'll leave you guys with something—a uh, visual that you can see, but I'll also describe it for your audience, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm bringing up my uh, Prezi software again here. So my philosophy when it comes to putting together uh, presentations is something I call building the sandwich with artisan storytelling. And for your viewers who cannot see the page, um, it's a picture of. Uh, we actually want one of you guys describe what you're looking at. Uh, it's, it's basically two hands, almost like they're uh, in a vertical format, like they're doing a magic trick. And between their hands are a bun, lettuce, onions, bacon, cheese, a burger, tomato, lettuce again, and in the bottom bun. And they're all separated by, you know, theoretically, you know, a half inch so that you can sort of see each layer individually in addition to the actual, you know, what it's going to become. Exactly. You're looking at the specific layers and details, the ingredients of a cheeseburger, it looks like, right? Right. So this is the idea, right? You go to your, your favorite restaurant, the burger joint, uh, the pasta place, whatever. You order your favorite dish and it gets to your table and it has all those ingredients in there. The way that that chef, that cook, that baker put that dish together for you, you bite into it, you look at the person next to you that you came with at your, for this, uh, this time you know, out at the restaurant and you say, my gosh, this is the most delicious thing I've ever had in my life. And that's why I come here all the time and pay $15 for this enormous hamburger because I know I'm going to walk out of here saying, I love this. I'm going to tell my neighbors and friends about it. There's nothing like it. Similarly, when putting together your presentation, you have to treat it the way an artisan chef would um, their, their dish for their diner. You're crafting an artisan style presentation for your audience. Every detail, every layer, every ingredient needs to be in there. The flavors connect one to the other, it transitions perfectly. So you walk out of there looking to the person you're sitting to next, next to at the auditorium or on the virtual screen going, that was, that, that wasn't a waste of my time like the 15 others I had been in front of. So when you craft it like an artisan storyteller is the way I call it, then you know you're delivering a presentation experience for an audience that they're going to remember. 
They walk out of there, tell someone about it, use your knowledge to help them get better. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's what you guys can do is making sure that everything belongs there. You know, you're not going to include ingredients that don't make sense. Who puts in a piece of gum uh, while they're going to, you know, uh, take a drink of their Pilsner, right? No one puts mint gum in their mouth, right? They're going to swig a beer or dip salmon in chocolate. Like, who does that? Why would you do that? Right? <laughs> That's you wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. You want to create, you want to create a uh, harmonious experience for your audience with your visuals and your, your oral narrative. The, the title of this episode will now be known as don't dip your salmon in chocolate. Don't do it. Right. <laughs> I actually, we may have to use that actually. It's pretty good. <laughs> that actually is good. Uh, Paul, this has been awesome. We got to rattle off our, our sponsors who we love and appreciate very much. But while we're doing that, we always turn it back to you to say, hey, what question can we answer for you? So give us a, a, a second or two to, to mention our, our lovely sponsors. Uh, thank you so much to all of our sponsors in helping us with the podcast, Reprise, Reggie, Vidyard, and Outreach. And of course, for the event that's actually coming up in the next 48 hours. And now Scott and I have to go rewrite all of our presentations. Um, <laughs> Alice, Lessonly Gong, Chili Piper, Aspireship, and Vidyard. We appreciate everybody uh, who helped make sure that we can get people down there to give them an amazing experience to Paul's point. Uh, it's not just some come down here and do nothing. It's, it's an experience. And that's what we've always crafted it to be. So we appreciate that. So Paul, with that, uh, what question can we answer for you? Sure. Well, you don't know what you don't know, right? And you guys uh, swim in a world that uh, is not completely familiar to me. What would you say in your experience as sales gurus, if you will, are some of the challenges that you find that your clients or your listeners face the most in their sales experiences? just connecting with people and cutting through the noise is becoming a brutal brutal challenge regardless of what kind of channel you use whether it's phone or email or linkedin for that matter um that's a big one you know i work a lot with founders who are trying to go to market for the first time and they're in love with their product and think everybody else cares about every single detail and feature the same way they do. So the whole narrative of trying to simplify the messaging um, is something that I do every single day with them and getting their, their story out there. Uh, so those are, those are a big two, Richard. Yeah. I think that um, they, there's a unintentional lack of leadership around the importance of this. And they don't know how to even understand what they should be understanding. There's so much coaching and framework and training around these are the words to say. There's not a lot around how to say it. Um, I think that's a big piece. And I don't think it's a, a negative on us. I, I, well, probably anywhere, like any community. I think that's just the the key to learning the communication, it goes back to your, Hey, you got so much knowledge you want to dump. Um, you know, I always tell people, look, if you get to the end of the sales call and you didn't get to everything because you had a good conversation, then that's the best sales call ever. Cause then they want to have another conversation. That's sort of my thought. And I think you've summarized it really, really well and articulated it in a way that can help people recraft that and reshape that. So. I have a follow-up question to that. So we talked about, 
soft skills, hard skills. And I hope I sort of illustrated what, you know, I think are sort of the myths behind soft Mm -hmm. skills. But do you see in your experience, sales leaders um, or or company leaders um, emphasizing, uh, you you mentioned, um, here are the words you say, but, but not how to say them. Do you, do you see leaders um, emphasizing um, or at least coming to an understanding that they have to change the way their sales teams perform their jobs? Or, or do you see still like a forcing of old ways or sort of old regiments? Well, that, well, that dials into me. Um, you know, when people ask me what I do, it's, you know, I say that I teach salespeople how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when to do it. So that aligns very similar. When I, over the last two years, as I've talked to customers and I've explained what I do and the tactics that I teach along the way, they're like, oh, you teach the soft skills. And I'm like, okay. Like I never, I never thought about it. I never used that word. Um, And I don't know that I would ever market it that way because it sounds too salesy. Um, I want them to tell me what I do based on what they learn from me. So that's what I see. Um, And then the other one is a common language, but it's a sales world, right? Like it's not an individual speaker place like you're doing. So they have teams and everybody's doing it their own way. They have a process they want them to follow, but they don't know how to teach them how to you know, navigate that process. And that's, for me, that's where I come in around those particular concepts. That's great. Well, you know, uh, someone's got to help companies understand that, you know, you know the old ways are um, hard to implement for a younger generation of sales teams. Um, do you find that leaders are, are, are using social media the way they should? Um, or is social media still something that leaders are a little afraid to get behind or uncertain how to navigate? I think it de- depends what arena we're talking about. I think um, bigger, larger corporations have been around for a long time. Um, going to be a little more conservative with that kind of stuff. And I think earlier, smaller startups, um, a lot of leaders have fully embraced it. And not only are they embracing it, they're teaching it uh, to their to their teams. So I think it won't be very long before people will have an inability to sell without an understanding of, of all the different social channels. And, and having a brand there will become more and more critical to, to one's success, um, selling B2B in particular. Yeah. Once you, you know, the trigger point for me is once you have legal counsel, that's when they stop doing social or they're afraid to, because legal is going to tell them not to do anything. Like they don't, you know, they're not going to want you to do this kind of marketing. And then you, all of a sudden you build this marketing and messaging communication department. And to me, that's where I see it, um, at those bigger places. And they're trying, right? Like, Frankly, you know, 15 years ago, companies embraced social through commercial advertising, right? Like you want to be social? Everybody does a Super Bowl commercial. Like that's, that's social media advertising to them. And they don't get how to do it at the, at the smaller level where their actual team could drive more 
and the you know five million dollars for 30 seconds kind of a, a piece so um, and then they got the lawyers and it was like what if they don't say it the right way and what if it doesn't match exactly with our marketing like, too much yeah god yeah, that like starts to churn my stomach even thinking about all that stuff yeah. i hate that so much that's why i play where i play which is in the smaller stage early stage yeah. where you don't have to worry about all those rules yeah. and regulations and all that yeah. formality Scott Scott loves to get on the phone and hear my stories about big companies and go, why oh, are you dealing with this, dude? Literally the worst. <laughs> the worst. Right. Uh, well, actually, that brings to my final question for you guys is, how do you know that your work is working or making a difference? That's easy to pinpoint for me. Yeah, go for it. Me too. Yeah. For it. I mean, I, so I don't do um, sales training. Uh I work almost exclusively with uh, early stage startups and, and trying to help them go to market. So that shows up in sales playbooks, which turns pipeline, which turns deal flow. I help bring sales leaders and salespeople to the companies. So you bring those things and now you've got, you know, you've taken a company with no customers and given them 25, a hundred, you've taken them from a, couple million dollar valuation to an eight figure plus valuation. Um, they raised the series A, they raised the series B. Like those are very tangible and easy to see wins and results. Um, so I'll yeah. turn it over to Richard. He's got different, different situation. Yeah. You know? So there are a couple things. So one, I, I encourage every one of my clients to go and clone their dashboards, but have the start date be after I show up. So they still have their original dashboard and they can look for changes. They don't need to wait for me to do it. The second thing is, and, and I think it's probably a little bit like you, Paul, is, is, you know, I train and then I have coaching sessions into my training. So I have a, uh, you know, we train every day for, for four days. And then once a week for the next month, I'm talking to the managers and the sales team about what's working and what not working. But I know that even by day three and four in the first week, people are actually trying things because I ask them, what did you notice? What have you tried? And so for me, it's within 48 hours. Like that's sort of my guarantee is that, you know, it's within 48 hours. And then the last piece is I always ask them when I talk to them, I'm like, great. So we're going to go through this. I'm going to go through my coaching for four weeks. Who owns the coaching on week six, seven, eight, and nine when I'm gone? And then it's up to them to take that piece and go forward. And, you know, everybody now and then say, well, it didn't work. It didn't stick. And it's like, really? How many calls did you have? How many coaching sessions? Did you? you know, and it's kind of like, oh, it's their fault. So the the piece that I see is there's a lack of accountability and they don't want to be held accountable or let me phrase that. They want to be held accountable, but not really. Right. So that's sort of how I see it. Right. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, you guys, you guys uh, live in a world uh, that I'm a little bit familiar with, but you know, that's what these relationships are all about is, you know, I'll learn from you, you'll learn from me. And, uh, and then our clients will benefit from that. And I think that's what, what, what makes this go around real nicely. Cool. Paul, thanks again. We really appreciate it. I know you, I know this was sort of a different one than maybe you've normally done. We appreciate you just sharing a ton of knowledge. It's been really fun. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Problem. Yeah. And um, before I let you go, let me tell everyone how to find me. Uh, www.critercreatives, K-R-E-I-T-E-R, creatives.com. And there's a whole bunch of information that will inspire you. And if you want to start a session, 
All you have to do is click on one of the links and um, I'll be in touch with you. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Sure. Thanks, guys.